to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering of Southcrest Baptist Church. To learn more about The Venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Hey, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Ephesians Uh, chapter 4. If you don't have your Bible in the chair in front of you, there should be a little black Bible there. We'd love for you to grab that. And if you don't have a Bible at all, maybe take, yeah, feel free to take that home and use that and make that uh, your Bible. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be beginning this morning. Why is it that so often we come to church or in the worship gathering or you're in your small group and it feels like you just can't win? When I say you just can't win, meaning like it feels like sometimes you're just never going to be spiritual enough, right? Like, do you ever struggle with that? Feeling like you come to church, about the time that you feel like maybe you're growing in your walk with Christ, and all of a sudden the preacher gives you more things to do. You know what I'm talking about? And you're just like, bro, could you give me a break? Anybody felt that before? Like, I'm just not quite getting there. I can't feel like I'm, I'm reaching my potential as a Christian. I'm not growing. Or maybe you struggle with feeling like, does God even love me? <laughs> the reason I love, well, I love all the songs we sing, but I love especially the song that we sang this morning, uh, Gone and then Scandal of Grace, is because I think it combats um, what we talk about around here sometimes, and that is like the wrong lens. So these are my sweet sporting clay uh, shooting glasses. But... The, these orange tinted lenses help me see things a certain way, right? When I'm out, if I'm out shooting sporting clays, they help uh, the, the clays pop a little bit better, which I, not like when I try to shoot them. That, that doesn't help. <laughs> but um, it helps me see them. They pop in my eyes a little bit more. So often, even Christians, like pe- people who believe in Jesus, even Christians walk around with the wrong lens on. What I mean is they have this moral lens through which they see the world in front of them. Meaning, they feel like their relationship with God is dependent on what they do. Now, they may not say that. They may say, yes, it's only Jesus. But in the reality, they live their life walking around, seeing everything through this lens of, have I been good enough? Have I done enough? Maybe if I do more, Jesus will love me. (laughs) Well, over and over again in, in Scripture, and especially in the New Testament, God teaches us that there's no such thing as a moral lens. Like if you read the book of Galatians, Paul very specifically says, through works of the law, and he's quoting the Old Testament even, no one will be saved. Through what you do, you'll never be righteous enough for God. So what the scriptures do over and over, this is hard to do in front of people, sorry. There we go. (laughs) Over and over again, the scriptures call us to put on gospel lenses change our worldview to see our relationship with God and the role we live, the life we live, excuse me, through the lens of realizing that my relationship with God, my rightness with him is based on who? Jesus. So the, my old buddy Jonathan Revis, he came and spoke at a middle school now like eight years ago, but he said, the gospel lenses, scripture teaches us that we're not, we're not fighting for righteousness, like, well, if I do enough, if I'm just good enough, then God will love me. No, it's that we're, right, we're fighting from righteousness. Amen? So through my relationship with Christ, because he lived a perfect life and died for me, 
and bestowed on me, gave me his righteousness. So now God looks at me as though I lived the life of Christ and Jesus took the punishment as though he lived my life, which is crazy. Through that, now I live the, the life God wants me to live. So it's not about um, behavior modification or just trying to change from the outside. It's No, it's change from the inside out. You with me? And so often we feel weighted down like there's more to do as a Christian because we have the wrong lenses on, even as Christians. We're, we're looking at everything through, have I done enough, when, when really it should be Jesus has done everything. It is finished. Amen? <laughs> now, we're coming to this point in Ephesians where, where Paul is, is making this transition. He, for three chapters, has been talking about, if, if I could just pick one word, the gospel, <laughs> that we were dead in our sins, but now we have a relationship with Christ. He's, he's, he's going to make this turn now from the gospel and how good God is to us to now focusing on because of the gospel, because of his grace, here's how we should live. Does that make sense? So let's dive into the text in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So therefore, he's referring literally to the first three chapters. So if I could do like just a quick 30,000 foot flyover, like in chapter one, where we saw that in Christ, believers are set free from sin. In Christ, you realize that your best is yet to come because you have heaven in front of you. In Christ, your future is sealed by the Holy Spirit. We also saw in chapter one um, that God wants us to see the hope that we have in him and the power that he wants to use in our life and that we are a treasure to him. Then probably my favorite, I know this is one of Richard's favorite uh, passages, Ephesians 2, uh, 8 and 9, that is by grace we have been saved. That we were dead in the water in our sin. Not like, hey, I can figure this out. Hey, Jesus, help me. Like, no, you were dead. You were done for. And God in his grace sent Jesus to save you. It's not a result of works. Uh, later in chapter 2, he talks about that we who have been far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then later in chapter 3, that, um, like we looked at last week, that we can be strengthened with God's power. And we should pray that we will see how much God loves us. So when he says, therefore, he's, he's looking back to the first three chapters and really all the gospel content that he's been teaching. And if, you, if we were reading it like the New Testament church, that would have been really easy because rather than, which they did preach, but typically when they got a letter, like they, the Ephesians got this letter from Paul, they just would have read it straight through. So when they got to therefore, it would have clicked real quick. He was talking about all he had said in chapters one through three. So what should we do because of all this gospel? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So because of the gospel, because of the goodness of Jesus, now he's kind of turning the pendulum, here's how you should live. Here is what you should do. And here's the way, when he says walk, like here's the lifestyle that you should live that reflects the love of Jesus. You with me? Because of this, do this. So what does he tell us to do? I love this. Verse 2. Here's how we should walk. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 
So because of Jesus, because of the gospel, here's how you should live. You know what I, I love? My mentor, Dr. Edwards, always says this. They're, the commands in the Bible, they're given because we don't do them naturally, right? Like God wouldn't have to tell us to do them if we, if we did them already. So here's the implication. Most of us, when he says you should walk in humility, what do most of us do? Not walk in humility, right? <laughs> most of us struggle with pride. He says walk with humility and gentleness. Anyone in here struggle with being harsh occasionally? <laughs> yeah, don't look at your neighbor. <laughs> Yeah. Don't be harsh, be gentle. With patience. Man, so many of us are so quick to just like cut someone off if they're a little quirky or weird. He says, no, be patient. Even when their personality is different, be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Okay, so I love uh, <laughs> the picture here, like in the New Testament, this same phrase is used. Um, the bear with one another, it's the same idea of enduring persecution. <laughs> Are there ever people that you're hanging out with and you feel like just being around them, you're being persecuted? <laughs> you're like, Lord, please help me. <laughs> like, I can't take it. I, the Bible's real. Like, it's not saying you've got to be best friends with everybody, <laughs> but you should learn to bear with one another in love, even when it feels like they're just raking your life over the coals when you're trying to hang out with them. <laughs> bear with one another in love, eager, excuse me, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So being eager to try to be at peace with each other. Being eager, striving, endeavoring. Is that a word? I think it is. Endeavoring to be unified. <laughs> I think if I could sum this up in one phrase, it would be, um, he said, we're not quite, to, I'm, I'm going to give you a point here in a second. We're not quite there yet. But I think he's saying we should handle our relationships with care. I think that's a good way to sum everything up. Be humble, be gentle, be patient, handle your relationships with care. Is that a timely word for people in 2019? <laughs> you guys are kind of quiet and shy this morning. Is that a timely word? Absolutely it is. Man, we live in a day that some people have kind of coined the phrase, the age of outrage. You cut me off. I even think you cut me off while you're driving past me. I'll give you the bird. I mean, I won't. But like, that's what people do, right? Or if you even, I even think you give me a dirty look, psh, you're dead to me. <laughs> or we have this attitude of, if you post a picture or retweet something that I don't like, psh, I'll just block you. I'll just unfollow you. Or if, if you have the nerve to comment on what I posted, oh, I will roast you to no end. <laughs> That's the attitude that we have, right? If you've ever wondered, like, if you ever feel like the Bible's not relevant, we, I'm not trying to be mean, but it's possible you're just not reading it closely enough, right? This is so relevant. Like, if there's a message, with, like, especially Christians, keep in mind, he's writing to the church here, Christians need to hear, it's that we should handle our relationships with care. <laughs> We're in this, this age where we just, Write people off automatically. Cut them off automatically. Or we, we hold on to bitterness. Or just we, we like, we're looking for any excuse to be hard. Excuse me, to be harsh. Hard with one another. And so he's saying, be gentle. Don't be harsh. Be patient. Handle your relationships with care. Now, we already said this. What is the first kind of underlying reason that he gave for that that really 
this thread that goes through the rest of the book. What was the reason we should handle our relationships with care? The first reason, all looking back at chapters one through three, is what? The gospel, right? Y'all with me? It's the gospel. Now check this out. The rest of the passage, verses uh, really three through 16, are going to give us, really he's going to kind of unpack more why it is so important that Christians, that believers, handle their relationships with care, that we don't just cut people off, that we don't just say you're dead to me, that we're not just looking for excuses to be harsh. Why should we handle our relationships with care? Verse 3, excuse me, verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. <laughs> Did you see a theme there? What was it? One. one. Thank you. Really good at math, Kate. I love that about you. <laughs> one. I think here's the first point that Paul's given us for why we should handle our relationships with care. Because all of us are on the same team. <laughs> We should handle our relationships with care because we're on the same team. As Christians, there is no us versus them. Like, it's not like you have your rival as Christians. So, yes, we may have different small groups. We may have different churches. But ultimately, we're all on the same team. So, like, Richard and I both grew up in Florida. He's a Florida Gator fan who they're really good right now. I'm a Florida State fan. It's embarrassing right now. We can, we can like, go back and forth and, like, kind of mess with each other. But as Christians... We don't have this rivalry of like, oh, shoot, man, I go to Southcrest. Man, Trinity, whoa, whoa, that's my rival, bro. <laughs> or Redeemer, oh, that's my rival too. Don't get me started. Like, no, we're all on the same team. One Lord, one Father. And like, man, I think it's gone really well so far, but Lord help us. It is definitely not a, well, you're not going to Southcrest, but I go to the venue. No, 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 no. Same team. Amen? <laughs> same team. One body, so one family. Again, it's not like uh, when we look at the body of Christ, it's not like he's like, okay, this arm over here, well, yeah, that's that small group, or this arm over here, that's that church. No, we're one body, the body of Christ. One spirit. The idea there is that every single Christian has the same spirit living within them. We may differ on some few, like, uh, hopefully, minor issues of theology, but the, the matter is, as if you believe in Christ, you have the same spirit within you. You've been sealed with the same spirit. No matter, like, think about it. If every single person in this room is a believer, as different as we all are, every single person has the same spirit within them, the Holy Spirit. In the bond of peace, let me back up. Where am I at? There we go. Uh, just as you recall, to the one hope, so we all have the same hope of being made like Christ of one day, being in heaven with Jesus that belongs to your call. One Lord. We serve one Savior, Jesus Christ. I love it if you've ever got to travel internationally. I love when you go on a mission trip internationally, and you literally go to the other side of the world. Your cultures are completely different, but man, you start talking about Jesus, and you both get excited <laughs> because it's all about Jesus. We have one Lord, one faith, so we believe in the same gospel. And again, where we would say we're not on the same team if someone doesn't believe in the gospel. That on my own, I'm far more wicked and evil than I ever dare believe, but in Christ, far more loved and accepted than I can ever dare to hope. 
One baptism. I'm going to push it here a little bit. Obviously, we, we 100% believe that the way Caleb was baptized earlier is the way to be baptized, like immersion. But I would say even like our brothers and sisters who go to different churches and do the little, little sprinkle thing, um, I'm not trying to make fun. I guess I was a little bit. But, um, <laughs> we're on the same team. Like, I don't think they're baptizing correctly, but ultimately like they're baptizing with the, with the picture, the idea that that baptism represents the death and resurrection of Christ and ultimately their death, or death and resurrection and new life in Jesus, like, we're on the same team. You with me? Same team. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We worship the same God. <laughs> There's one God, so we're all, if you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus, we're all on the same team. This truth, this idea, is the same reason that we get so frustrated when we're watching our Red Raiders or your Cowboys or my Jaguars, and we're watching and they, and they start fighting on the sideline. You're just like, oh, bro, you're killing me, right? Because you're on the same team. If you start fighting with each other, what's going to happen? It's not going to go well. You're going to lose. That's what's going on with the Jaguars, right? <laughs> it's going to fall apart. I think one of the coolest examples of, like, teamness I've ever seen um, was actually uh, in a football game or two different football games. Um, and I know, I know he plays for OU now, and we're kind of sore about that, but it involved Jalen Hurts, um, and at that time, his backup quarterback, Tua. I can't say his last name, so we'll just call him Tua. Um, and it was in, uh, not this past year, but the year before, in the championship game, the, the final game, it was Bama versus Georgia. And Jalen Hurts had had an incredible season like he's doing this year, had an incredible season, but in that game, he was struggling. They went, Bama and Georgia went into the half, and Georgia was up 13-0. And it was kind of like, bro, what is happening? Like, Bama's supposed to be the team, and Georgia's up 13-0. So to kind of everybody's surprise, including Jalen Hurts probably, at the, he had been the quarterback the whole season and that half. Uh, at, after halftime, the second quarter, if you remember, they started Tua. And he had a little shaky first couple of possessions, but he ended up lighting it up. They ended up, Bama ended up beating Georgia 26 to 23. And what was so cool is the entire time that Tua, the backup quarterback, was out there dominating, you know who his biggest fan was? Jalen Hurts. That, I remember like I was just like eating it up watching it because I'm like, this is going to be a great illustration one day. <laughs> but, but seriously, Jalen, anytime Tua would do something good, Jalen was jumping up and down. When, they, when Tua would come off, after they like score a touchdown, he would come to the sideline. Jalen was giving him high five, doing the chest bump thing, talking to him, encouraging him, because he wanted to see his team do well. He put aside his insecurities and selfishness. And the story doesn't end there. It gets even better. Last year, in the SEC championship, you had Bama number one versus Georgia number four. And Tua had been the starter all that year. So kind of over that previous summer, Tua became the starter. And so he had played really well, kind of a, a Heisman. Did he win the Heisman? I don't think he did. He was a Heisman candidate. Oh, that's right. Uh, oh, you got one, Kyler Murray. Anyways, so Tua played pretty good, but Georgia went, in, went into the half up again. I can't remember the score. It doesn't really matter, but they were up at the half. Came out the second half. Tua kept playing, um, but just wasn't doing real well. It looked like Georgia was going to win. Tua actually, ended, I don't know if it was leg or what, but Tua ended up getting hurt. So guess who got to come back into the game? Jalen Hurts. <laughs> And the coolest thing, it was like just a Cinderella story. With five minutes left, 
Hurt scored two touchdowns to give Bama the win. And you know that time who was Jalen Hurt's biggest fan? Tua. The whole time, I think he couldn't jump because he like had a bum leg, but the whole time he was so pumped for his teammate because he knew if Jalen wins, we win. <laughs> Isn't that a really cool picture of what the body of Christ should be? That we're on the same team. So rather than like secretly hoping that you stumble and that you struggle, I want to cheer that you succeed because we are on the same team. How dumb is comparison when you know you're on the same team? We're always trying to measure up how awesome we are. Like, we're on the same team. So because of that, <laughs> we should walk with humility and gentleness and patience and bear with one another and be eager to keep unity. We're on the same team. How many people have turned away from, the, from Christ, from Jesus, because his bride, the church, was too ugly with disunity. <laughs> Probably too many. We should, we should strive to handle our relationships with care because we're on the same team. Now, there's something cool about being on a team, and that is as different, we're, we're all striving for the same thing, we should be, but at the same time, we're also all different. We're all unique. There's diversity. And in this next section, Paul's going to kind of unpack the benefit, the blessing that there is in being unified but being diverse. Check this out. We're going to kind of build to this point, so we won't get to the point for a little bit, but hang with me. Verse 7. But grace, so he's been talking about unity and how we're all one, but then he says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. He's quoting Psalm uh, 68, 18 there. Verse 9. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So he says grace has been given to each of us. And then he quotes the Psalms and says that, uh, and Paul's using this to talk about Christ. He says he's given all of us different gifts. And then he, uh, yeah, gifts, G-I-F-T-S. It's not like I said gifts like on your phone. Um, he's given us all different gifts. I can't say it, sorry. <laughs> and then in verses 9 through 10, he kind of goes on a little excursus of just proclaiming who Jesus is, that he descended from heaven and ascended back into heaven, and he is the Lord of all. And, and, and in doing that, he's kind of giving credibility to what he says in verses 7 and 8, that Jesus has given us all grace. And let's clarify, this is important here. It seems small, but this is really significant. When he says grace was given to each one of us, while it is true that we've all in Christ received grace, forgiveness of sins, mercy, he's talking about a different kind of grace here. The kind of grace he's talking about is the same that he talks about in chapter 3, verse 8. If you want to, just kind of, you should be able to flip over or turn right there, look right there with your eyes. Chapter 3, verse 8, he says, to me, he's kind of giving his testimony, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So he's saying the grace that was given him in addition to salvation, 
the grace that was given to him was the gift, the opportunity to preach the gospel. And so here in chapter 4, he's saying all of us have experienced the same kind of grace in that if you are a follower of Christ, not only have you received the grace of forgiveness, but you've received the grace of a gift to contribute to the body of Christ. Does that make sense? You with me? Paul was given this grace to preach the gospel. He's saying all of us, Christ has given a gift to contribute to the body. So some of them maybe... It is like Paul. Maybe it's teaching, preaching. For some, maybe it's leadership. For some, maybe it's mercy. For some, maybe it's like you just have this really incredible desire to give. For some, maybe it's the gift of encouragement. Some have their really, like our team, don't we have an incredible team that is gifted in leading worship? Like, like super awesome? Yeah. Give them a hand. Yeah. Super cool. Um, we've all been different Gifts. Some have the, different, the gift of hospitality or discernment. And so we've been given these gifts. And this next part, if you've grown up in church, may be a little confusing to you, but hang with me, because I think it's going to address some misconceptions that we have. We all have these gifts. Now, verse 11. And he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So just to be really probably too simplistic, let's say church leaders, <laughs> to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Man, this is so cool. So he's saying, we've all been given these different gifts, but he gave, again, to be quick and simple here, church leaders, teachers, prophets, evangelists, he's given them to equip the saints, look at yourselves, look at your neighbor, the church, the believers, for the work of the ministry. And what is that ministry? He says in verse uh, 12, to build up the body of Christ. What in the world? Did you know that if you are a Christian, you are in full-time ministry? Well, gee golly, <laughs> add that to your resume. <laughs> <laughs> Our job as pastors is to help equip you so that we can minister to each other. Our ministry is to build each other up, the body of Christ. I remember my very first uh, youth group um, God was doing some incredible things. In the first two months, we had like 50% increase in growth. We went from two students to three students. God was doing amazing things. And it really was exciting, but also humbling. And so I remember, um, and actually and two of those were brother and sister. So, you know. Um, but I remember we were having our Wednesday night Bible study. It really was like me sitting here and the three of them right there. And I'd finished the Bible study, and I looked out over the vast, massive crowd said, would someone like to close this in prayer? <laughs> and after some awkward silence, one of the boys said, bro, you're like a trained professional. Why don't you pray? <laughs> <laughs> At that point, I just was like, fine, I'll pray, whatever. <laughs> Too often, that's the mindset we have in church, right? Paul's saying, every single one of us has been gifted from Christ to help build up 
the body of Christ. And by the way, I'm going to start talking fast here because we got some ground to cover. You're like, you already talk way too fast, but listen fast, okay? So here's what happens, or like kind of the result of us building each other up and using our gifts to encourage one another, whether it be, that, be behind the scenes or on the platform, whatever. It says when that happens, actually, man, sorry, so much to cover. <laughs> Did you see in verse 13, 13, this building up of the body of Christ, it's about maturing. So listen to this. It's all in verse 13 about unity of faith, mature manhood, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I can't, look right here, I can't be as mature as I need to be in Jesus without you. You, we can't be as mature as we're supposed to be. We can't grow like we're supposed to without each other. Listen to what happens when we do build up each other. It says, when that happens, we're no longer, verse 14, we're no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So he's saying you're not always tossed around. Think about this. Part of your not being tossed around and feeling so fickle in your faith is being tied into community. Because when we're tied into community and build each other up, we're not tossed around as much. We're more dug down in. We're not easily deceived. Am I talking to anybody? Talking to me. We need community. He says, rather, when we build each other up, speaking the truth in love, which time out there, speaking the truth in love, don't you love that balancing statement? Some of you, especially some of the men and some of the ladies that have a, a, on the disc a D personality, maybe an eight personality on the Enneagram, you heard all that gentleness and humility, and you're like, bleh. Doesn't mean you can't speak the truth, but do it in love, right? Speak, as we speak the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him, Jesus, who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. <laughs> so as we all are doing our part and contributing and trying to grow in Christ and as we encourage each other, the body begins to grow. We become strong as Christ pumps his blood through our lives. He begins to make us strong in the body grows. But he's saying each part, I'm like almost quoting it verbatim here, each part has to work properly. So what does this have to do with why should we handle our relationships with care? Here's our second thing. We should handle our relationships with care because we need each other. <laughs> I can't be what I'm going to be in Christ without you. You can't be what you're going to be in Christ without me. Really goes for every single person in this room. We need each other. I think maybe a way to kind of picture this is think about on the volleyball team. You may have somebody that's really good at spiking the ball, but it's hard to spike it if no one's going to set it for you. You need someone to like, as boring as like bumping it seems, like my form there, Matty Grace, like that good bump, as, as lame and maybe boring as that seems, you need someone to like bump it and then to set it and spike it. Every person matters. Think about in football, like if you have a really stud running back, but your offensive line doesn't care about what they do, and they're just like, we're just going to stand here. doesn't matter how good your running back is. He's not going anywhere, right? You need each other. You can have a really sweet car with a, like, nice tires, and like you got the setup right, you got the lift, you got a, like great rims, but if there's no engine, it doesn't matter. <laughs> we need each other. 
So that means <laughs> we shouldn't be jerks to each other. <laughs> we shouldn't be looking for excuses to be harsh or to cut people off. It means, man, we could like settle in on this. It means that when new people come in, we're not like, guess they're new, don't know them. We already have our group. No. <laughs> what we should say is, hey, there's someone new. Apparently Christ has brought them to our church body here. We probably need them and they need us. So let's go build a relationship. You with me? <laughs> We need each other. It means less clicks and more community. <laughs> we all have our tight-knit tight -knit friends, for sure. We all we gravitate towards certain people. But that's not an excuse to cut people off or not to have a we-need-each-other mindset. This doesn't mean that someone who drives you crazy and that you feel like you're enduring persecution when you hang out with them doesn't mean they have to be your best friend, but it doesn't mean you're open to doing life with them occasionally because you need each other. I think if I could real quick sum up, I've already given you some pictures, but maybe kind of sum up all of this. I think a way to think of this is if you've ever been on a hike. If you haven't been on a hike, it's okay. You can still dream with me. But if you think about a hike, um, because of synergy, multiple people coming together to create more energy, you can go farther and do more on a hike when you're in a group. Because as you're hiking along, Different people in your, your, uh, your team, your hiking group that are on the journey with you, they're going to have different strengths and gifts. So some people may see things that you don't see, like, hey, there's a large bear over there. We should go the other way, right? <laughs> or some people, maybe they like, maybe you're like me and you way underestimated how much water you would need. And they're like, hey, it's okay. I'm kind of OCD and I packed like 17 gallons, right? <laughs> maybe they have the resources that you don't have. Maybe some people just have that encouragement. We're like, bro, I'm so tired. They're like, hey, we're going to keep going. Like, we can do this. We're going to make it. Or maybe you come to like a, a big stream that you need to cross. And you don't want to get in it because then you're going to have wet socks the rest of the day and blisters is going to be bad. So you've got a strong dude who has the right boots on, the waterproof boots to put you on his back and to carry you over. <laughs> you're going to go farther. You're going to do more as a team. Because I think here's the, the truth we're trying to get at in this passage. We're better together. <laughs> Cue the Jack Johnson song. <laughs> but that's a fact. When we have the mindset that says, man, I'm going to handle my relationships with care because we're on the same team and because we need each other, something happens. We realize that we're better together. <laughs> How different might your life look and might our church look if we had that mindset? I want to give you four quick things to kind of think about or to do and then I'm going to be quiet and we're going to sing. <laughs> In light of this, kind of these are like maybe we'll call it application or homework, whatever. Not homework. No one likes homework. Things to think about. <laughs> Number one, get in community. And by the way, I, I'm so glad you're here in this service. And I hope you keep coming and bringing more friends, friends, friends and we can add more chairs. It'll be great. But if you just come to this, like, it's going to be hard to feel like you're in community. Get in community, a small group, life group, Sunday school group, whatever you want to call it, get in community. Second thing I want to ask you to do, maybe consider if there's someone you need to apologize to. Maybe someone that you've, been, you've not been humble with, you've not been gentle with, you've not been patient with. Is there somebody you need to apologize to? Because we're better together. <laughs> the third thing I want you to, to do is, and we all need to do this as Christians, just ask God to help us do what he laid out in verse, um, I believe it was two and three, of being 
humble and gentle and patient and striving for unity. Let's start praying that God would help us do that. And the fourth thing, um, props where credit is due. I stole this from Matt Chandler. But I want to I challenge you to do this. No one's like going to be watching except the Lord. <laughs> no one's going to see if you do this. But I want to challenge you because we're better together. I want to challenge you in the next two weeks, sometime in the next two weeks, to meet up with someone, whether it be like if you're a, a smaller child at the playground, <laughs> or if you're a little older, you can go to a coffee shop or go to lunch or dinner, whatever. I want to challenge you to meet up with somebody, and both of you come into the conversation, another Christian, and agree that the topic of the conversation is going to be Jesus. How is he changing you? How is he growing you? Do you feel distant from him? Make the topic of the conversation Jesus. I think what we're going to find in those conversations, all of us, we're going to find that as we talk about Jesus and we encourage one another, we're going to find that we really are better together. So I want to challenge you to do that. And if you're like, I don't know who to do that with, maybe look to the person to your right or left. Maybe they would be willing, right? If not, um, I can't go to lunch or coffee with every one of you, but I could probably do that with a few of you. Make that happen because we're better together. Hey, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to sing a little bit of a song about the one name that all of us as believers worship. Y'all sing with me. I mean, pray with me. Sorry, don't sing with me. That would be really bad. <laughs> Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel that we, we should strive to handle our relationships with care because you've been good to us, not just because you're telling us what to do. And Lord, I pray that, um, man, we would begin to find community, that we would begin to um, love each other well and realize that we're better together. And God, I pray that even as we sing this song about your name, that we realize that all of us as believers, no matter where we live or where we go to church, um, that we're on the same team and that your followers in Lubbock, Texas, would begin to be more unified to take the gospel to the world. God, we love you and pray that even as we sing, you would speak to our hearts. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's talk, be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcast. The goal of The Venue is to help you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus by being relational, helpful, hopeful, and real. Thanks again for listening to The Venue Podcast.